foster care evolves every single day. We don't have it figured out. Paradigm shifts are changing. Laws are changing. But at some level, we have to recruit and retain foster parents, kin and guardians to care for children in care because these are our most vulnerable children who have been through some of the hardest experiences we cannot even fathom. How do we support those families to empower them and keep them going? And how do we ensure that our children have improved outcomes when they come into this system? Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate and, if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I am Jennifer Nassor, and I'm your Political Contessa. So I always love and find so interesting the different routes that women in politics take, their different backgrounds, and the reasons that motivate them and propel them to get into public service or to have a voice that can talk to those that we elect those that work for us. And so you don't necessarily need to be an elected official to make a change. Sometimes you could just be you and have a voice, make a change and leave a legacy. And so today on this episode, I have with me Marilyn Beck. She is the founder and executive director of New Mexico Child First Network. The New Mexico Child First Network is New Mexico's only nonprofit that's dedicated to improving the lives of children in foster care and empowering those families who care for them. Marilyn founded this organization in 2018 after being a single foster parent. I hope that you are clapping for her right now because that is not easy. She was a single foster parent in New Mexico and learning firsthand just how broken the foster care system is, but also realizing that there are simple solutions to making huge positive impacts. While being a single foster parent, Marilyn personally fostered, hang on to your hats here, 39 children, 12 of them whom were teenagers. I'm just going to say as a mother of two teens and one preteen, that is no small feat. So Marilyn is here with me today to discuss her amazing work, but I want you to know it is not that I just found her out of the blue, though I love her work. Marilyn and I both work to make sure that women are running for office, to get women to start talking about issues that are important in their communities. And we each have issues that are near and dear to our heart. And both of us have kids as a motivator for doing what we do. So Marilyn, thank you for being here on Political Contessa. Thank you for inviting me. It's really an honor and um, seeing your former guests and just the other conversations you're having, there's some really important work you're doing. So we're, we're just honored to be here. 
Thank you. So tell me, you know, we are politically involved, but one of the things I try to tell my friends and tell women that I speak to is you don't need to run for office. That's, I mean, of course we would love more women elected to office, but more important to me is for women to get out there and have their voices heard, find issues that unify both sides, bridge building doesn't always have to be the flame throwing. This is an issue that is not a political issue. How did you get involved with this and what is motivating you every day? Thank you for asking. Again, so it's funny. I have a master's degree from GW in political or it's strategic public relations from the George Washington School of Political Management. So like it's just a place that overachievers spend time. Right. And you can be on the left and you can be on the right. And we're just innately people who want to make the world a better place. So previous to this, I will always say that I worked for Governor Martinez, New Mexico's first female Latina governor, the first U.S. Latina governor in 2010 or 2011, excuse me, her first year in office. And I was just drawn to this. I grew up in New Mexico. I've lived here my whole life. Like I just really love New Mexico. And so I was drawn to politics because it is a place that passionate people engage and want to make the world a better place. As you know, women are tend to be one issue voters or one issue candidates, right? So um, we're passionate. It might be school board. But so I do have legislative experience. I decided that that was a lot for me. It was commuting an hour every day. I left. I did other things. I found myself at the public school system, and I worked in communications there for a, almost two and a half years. And, and Albuquerque Public Schools is the 11th largest urban school district. So it's very similar to Baltimore. It's very similar to M Minneapolis or Miami-Dade. It's a big urban school district. We always say that APS is larger. The square miles of Albuquerque Public Schools is larger than the state of Rhode Island. Wow. It's huge, right? And so a lot of diverse, right? So I'm a passionate person who wants to make the world better. And then I got pulled back into legislative stuff with my communications background. This is my story is that I just got tired of hearing elected officials say, I want to save children. I want to save children, right? I want to do it. And this is what exactly what you're talking about is that I just said, well, I can do something more, right? I'm single. I have an extra bedroom. I will sign up to be a foster parent. And that's what I went in knowing I'd, I'd worked. And I say, Governor Martinez's office, I've worked in the New Mexico legislature and I've worked in the Albuquerque public school. So child welfare, children's causes are, are something I was familiar with, but I thought, you know, I really went into foster care to just do a little bit more. Your listeners and subscribers and friends are probably across the country. Foster care is very different from state to state. It's run from county to county and state to state. It's very different, but very quickly on in this experience, I learned overwhelmingly so that this was single-handedly the most broken infrastructure, most broken bureaucracy, probably of any department I'd ever worked in. Um, again, I coming from the cabinet level at the governor's office in New Mexico, really having seen tourism and tax and revenue and, you know, you, labor, you name it in the departments, things tend to work systematically. And what I learned is just coming on the insider perspective was that, I remember my, it's how I started child first pretty quickly on was I was brand new. I was single. I think I was 32, 33 at the time. And I thought, you know, one of the things that were allowed as volunteer foster parents, foster parents in the state of New Mexico, and most states are reimbursed only. They're not paid. So they do this out of the goodness of their hearts, but you were supposed to take three days of respite a month, which means you know, to make sure not burnout and just really within the foster care system. Some states have respite up to 12 hours. There's different things. 
But as a new person, I couldn't find a network. I couldn't find a webpage. I couldn't find like, who do I call? My worker had no idea. So I went to a town hall and I remember the cabinet. I asked my question brand new. I think I'd been foster parent for two months. And I said, well, how, how do I find a respite provider? How do I find help? Right. I want to be a foster parent. I want to help, but I don't know how to get that days of respite. It was very quick that they realized they had never put together a system. Foster care is 40 to hundred years old. They'd never put together a system that would be quick and easy to access support for respite providers. Okay. So like I said, as a mom, I can't imagine not having that network, but as a, as a biological parent, you generally, you have a play group, they go to school, you have daycare, you have other things, you meet other people and are able to kind of sometimes figure out, you know, even a family member, but you're right as a foster care mom who hasn't done this before, where do you go? So that was my first foot in. And I remember, and people will talk about it to this day, because that was four and a half years ago. People will say, oh, in came Marilyn, just like, oh, girl, like you didn't know what you were getting into. But my point was, it shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this hard. And it's so interesting because my nephews are in daycare, right? My nieces and nephews are in daycare. And quite frankly, we saw with the pandemic, there are ways to track children, right? I always say like, there's a bright wheel app for most preschools and you can thumbprint in and see when your kid is there and thumbprint out when they go to the bathroom or have lunch or take a nap and you're getting constant feedback, right? As a parent, I was pretty horrified even four and a half years ago, how little of that existed in this space. Fast forward to where we are today, nationally, it still doesn't exist, right? And so that's really the network part of New Mexico Child First Network is creating, we have a Facebook group of over 500 families across the state of New Mexico, kin, foster, and guardians. Um, And we really want to be, we stand in the gap of today on our Facebook page, anonymously, we don't share confidential information. Like we're really specific about that, but someone posted that the child in their care happens to be a niece, relative foster care, started three years old, developed epilepsy. What kind of resources are out there for that, right? What kind of supports? Is that a higher level? How do you navigate Medicaid? How do you navigate adoption? And then through the pandemic, it's really changed. And also like we've really pivoted. We really came out with our programming in 2019 really to be support oriented and then the pandemic hit. At some levels, it's brought us closer together because we all went to the computer, right? How do you support each other? How do you create that network? And so our network is pretty so supportive, like you said, right? Well, the other thing that is so hard, because I, I had never had biological children of my own, and now you're caring for trauma-based children, mm-hmm. right? Or ch- children who come from traumatic backgrounds and have traumatic experiences. Where And New Mexico is a very resource-deprived state, right? And it's so, it's ironic. Someone asked me because of my political experience, it was a reporter once said, did you go into foster care knowing how bad it was so you could change it? I was like, no, I'd rather be in Hawaii. Like, let me say the <laughs> rather be doing this, right? But this is women, right? This is why women are, are the change makers. Our board has one male on it and 13 females. Women get things done. I'm overwhelmed and humbled every day because they tend to be very nurturing, right? Women are drawn to foster care. We want to do a little bit more. And I think it's so interesting for your listeners. And this is really where that political piece of it comes. There is a real paradigm shift happening in 2022 in the past, I'd say 10 years to abolish foster care. And this is something that I really want to talk about because it's happening at the national level. It's a movement called UpEnd. And it's happening and it's this real push that we need 
So people come to me and say, oh, you're a foster parent. I want to adopt too. My first inclination I respond is foster care is not a means to adopt. We've really, really shifted in the 1980s and the 1990s. If you wanted, you know, you wanted to grow your family through foster care, you would become a foster parent and hope to adopt. That's not what's happening in 2022. There's a real national shift on the paradigm shift of, of family preservation. Like how do we support the family? Where that hurts some of us in foster care, which is really the advocacy avenue of what I've done with this organization, that policy reform is really saying at some level, there are no more resources to provide to these families. And at some mm. level, it's also why we call ourselves child first is that we need to keep the child first of these conversations. Is the child safe? There's a national, it's federal law, it's called Family First. And, and Family First was created and passed with the intention to get kids out of congregate care. Congregate care is orphanages, it's large groups homes. It's We've really moved away from that. But what how states are interpreting that is really different in a lot of states. And then it's wanting to keep kids with family, bio family at all costs. And so what I really push back in this space is saying there is a cost at all costs is not okay. And we have to do better. So just bringing awareness about what happens in the child welfare space. I think there are lawsuits in almost all 50 states right now in the child welfare foster care space for different reasons. And that's why I'm so grateful to be on the show is that foster care evolves every single day. We don't have it figured out. Paradigm shifts are changing, laws are changing, but at some level we have to recruit and retain foster parents, kin and guardians to care for children in care because these are our most vulnerable children who have been through some of the hardest experiences we cannot even fathom. How do we support those families to empower them and keep them going? And how do we ensure that our children have improved outcomes when they come into this system? Mm, I think that's so important. It's heartbreaking. It's like, I, I want to cry listening to what you're saying because I volunteered on a foster care review board here in Massachusetts before I had kids years and years ago. And, and I did it after I had my first daughter too. And I think they stopped doing it because it was, you know, pretty personal, but going through some files and, and reviewing whether the child should go back to their biological parents. And I'm also a lawyer. And so, you know, I take the lens of in any family law matter, it's always the best interest of a child. And you hear these crazy stories and you shared with me an article, but, you know, is it in the best interest of the child? to remain with their biological parent or parents when they are not being taken care of? And what is the psychological harm that comes later on in life if that child is not being cared for? What happens at school when they don't show up to school? What happens when they see abuse, whether it's drug abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse? And so it really is very interesting. And, and I think it's, I have a close friend who is also a foster mom and always has a baby. And, and right now she has a kid with her who is what started as a baby and now is a raging toddler, you know, like three years mm -hmm. old and running around. And, and I mean, it seems like the kids never come out of foster care with her. And maybe that's credit to what kind of mom she is, but it is very difficult because people think of adoption as, oh, I get this little baby and so cute. And the baby's your baby. Whether you're the biological parent or not, the, the child ends up being your baby. In foster care, though, you do get a child who may have 
you know, maybe lashing out because of what they have seen and heard and been privy to and putting that, taking that kid away for a month or two might not be enough. I mean, and, and so I think that there are different measures and again, foster care, like you said, is, is not a one size fits all. It's very different everywhere here in Massachusetts. We have an organization called the wonder fund. And it was begun by the governor of Massachusetts, Charlie Baker, started by his wife, First Lady Lauren Baker. And it is to help support the kids in foster care by providing a bag of stuff for them. You know, because a lot of times they're taken away, as you know, taken away in the middle of the night. They don't have their blankie. They don't have their favorite pillow or, you know, they don't have their clothing. And so to provide them with a duffel bag of all the age appropriate things that they need before they go off someplace else. And before our governor came in, our foster care system was a mess. We had children dying. Um, the abuse was being covered up like crazy and no one was really paying attention to it because this is my view. But I think that foster care is one of those issues that most men who are in office, most politicians, which end up, by the way, you know, as you and I know, most elected officials in our legislature are men. And um, in Massachusetts, we're like right with national standards, we're at 26% of our legislature is female. I don't think they want to deal with it. It's a very messy, ugly situation to have to deal with. It's so messy. And I think I'm so glad you're saying everything that's just music to my ears, you know, just awareness of foster care and talking about it. I feel like so much of what my organization does and what I've been able to do over the last four years is just really bring these to the forefront of the conversation. And I'm like, hi, me again. Our foster care system is probably one of, if not the worst in the country. And it's just so refreshing to hear reforms and positives. Foster care and child abuse is hard to talk about. It is hard to hear. It is hard to understand. It is hard to fathom. It is messy. It's so funny because I've been really active as an activist advocate in the legislature, right? I'm there. We have bills. We've been pushing bills, even just simple bills. One of the first bills we passed was in 2019, Representative Kelly Fajardo, a Republican out of Valencia County, female, mom of three, now grandma. We passed allowing all children and families impacted by foster care. So it'd be current foster youth, families in foster care to have free day passes to state-owned parks and museums. And it was really a simple bill, but it also brought to the conversation like, why don't they, right? Why Why also, and then it starts the conversation, why would you need a day pass, right? Well, for foster care, the point is reunification. And so, so many of these conversations are like, you're having visits in a McDonald's. Right. So like, let's have a, let's have a visit in the natural history museum or the art museum. Right. And so, so for four years, we've been really working at it. I love the wonder fund, which you just mentioned, because again, we can't fix problems. We don't address or acknowledge that they exist. Right. So one of the questions that like, it, it begs the question, why don't they have their things? Right. And so even that simple gesture. And again, if you're listening to this and you just don't know where to start, Like you said, find a foster parent, reach out. It doesn't. And so we also have a really big national trend of shadow foster care. It's grandparents raising grandchildren or aunts and uncles or family. If you're trying to figure out how you can make a child's life better or improve their outcome, reach out to grandma and say, can I bring you dinner? Right. Can I bring you dinner tonight? You know, just do a meal train. Um, because I think that one of the other real spaces that we've, we at my nonprofit have really tried to lean into is standing in the gap, but also identifying it's really important. So we say we advocate 
and improve the lives of children in foster care. But one of the main ways we do that is by empowering those families who care for them, right? We want to take care of our caretakers. I mean, you're a mom of three. It's hard, right? It's hard. It's hard if your children do not come from trauma. It is harder if they do come from trauma. And so there's a national campaign. It's called CHAMPS fostering champs. Children deserve amazing parents every day. You can't see it. I'm wearing a shirt that says QPI quality parenting initiative. And it's this really positive space that we need to remind ourselves, especially in this paradigm shift of foster care is bad. There's a real paradigm shift, but I think some of the movement needs to be every child deserves amazing parenting every day. Amen to that. Sometimes parents and, and, you know, we, as humans, we, as parents, we, as sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles, it's a really important conversation that we can never stop having is just to identify that, you know, my sister-in-law just had a baby three weeks ago. We have taken our nephews quite a few times to just say, you need a break. We'll take the boys, right? That one's a toddler, one's five going on 65. <laughs> I have a kid like that. <laughs> right. So, so those are conversations, but that that's when I became a foster parent, that was what I thought I was doing. I will always say I became a foster parent with the sole intent to be a bench warmer. That was really what I thought foster care was, um, was to just be the person that sat there when the star basketball player needed a water break or a refresh break, like you throw the ball to the bench warmer and their entire job is just to keep that ball and really just to not mess the ball up until the star player gets back on their feet. And I wish that's what it was. Some states, that's what it is. But what I, again, what I learned is the really hard stuff of it. They're just, let's get a respite list. How can we support each other? We now, one of our pages is great. And it sounds a lot like it's very informal wonder kind. We've created a Facebook page group for sweet swaps. We call it fostering sweet swaps. So I just got a new placement, two and three-year-old boys. Does anyone have any clothes or shoes I can fit? Right. Cause we all have, so it's just really creating that network of I got a new placement. I need an early intervention services, or do you know this? And it's really just how, how can we stand up right now with the formula shortage? It's oh, been, God, I can't even imagine. I, you know what? I, I actually, as a mom, I forgot about that, but if you're a foster parent, by the way, I mean, this is, you know, one of my, one of my arguments on this, on the baby formula. So I, number one, have an issue with any man telling a woman, Hey, you could breastfeed. You could do this. You could do that Absolutely. because you try it. <laughs> <laughs> you try to do that. And then you come and tell me how easy it is. But if you are an adoptive parent and I've used that, how do you, or if you were a same sex couple and you did not have the child, how do you do that? But if you're a foster parent where you only have a child for a couple of months and it takes a couple of weeks to find formula, what the heck do you do? Especially when you're not provided with everything that you need for that child. Well, it's been a huge, huge pain point in the space because so many of these kids, like we really talk about fetal alcohol syndrome or, or you know, mm. there's a lot of different spectrum disorders. A lot of the kids that come into foster care, especially infants are underweight. You have a lot of meth addicted babies. You have a lot of drug addicted babies and there's very specific formula for very specific purposes, right? A baby is coming into foster care, especially the newborn infant age because they're in crisis truly sensitive formula. And there's so many, you just have no idea until you just don't know, but right. Until you can really support that and step into that. Yeah. The, the formula crisis is a crisis. So for people to say, I live in Las Cruces, New Mexico, or El Paso, Texas, which is really close. Like here's the shelves. When we stand up and support others and it goes for all walks of life, we will all do better together. 
Absolutely. I mean, hey, right. Isn't that I think that that is an overarching political message as well as a, you know, social services type message, which is help and work together and unify and be able to to help your your fellow neighbor in need. It is really so concerning when I hear stories of children being hurt by their parents in one way or another or in a foster care setting where someone really shouldn't have had the child, but it is a family member who gets the child and that person does not have the resources, you know, and like what you're talking about and being able to pass the child off to someone else and just say, I need a break. I'm at my, I'm at my breaking point. I need a break. And sometimes I think when they're is a lot going on, you know, and you say, just, I'll take the kid or someone says here, you take the child while I figure out my life. That person doesn't know everything that they're in for. What are some things you've advocated for? What's some legislation in New Mexico that kind of could apply, you know, really anywhere to make the foster care system better? And do you agree that foster care should be abolished just for straight up adoption? The foster care, it's not even adoption, right? It's that every child belongs with their parents. That's the conversation. And I like to say, you know, I, I've had some really existential questions. I once heard a state legislator say on the floor in New Mexico, who are we to judge? Drug abuse, sexual abuse, rape and incest are just part of the cultures. Uh, what? Who are we to judge if we take those children out of, out of the home? That's just part of some family culture. Okay, you cannot see my face. But Marilyn can, and my mouth dropped. That's outrageous. And it's it's really where the shift is. That the, these families, that's just part of the culture. Who are we to judge? And that's a constant fight. And we abolish foster care. It's a racist mechanism. And so our society is shifting significantly, right? Defund the police. We need more services. I come from a resource-deprived state. There are no more resources to give these families. We continue to see a child abuse fatality, which are preventable. Child abuse fatalities are preventable with a call to child protective services. And I will continue to say that, but I I really continue to have as many existential questions and conversations with myself, but I will draw a hard line at, no, we should be protecting our children. Child abuse, drug abuse, physical abuse, rape and incest, going to stand on that line and say, that child should not be in that home. I a thousand percent agree. And, and and what is racist about that? What what is an ist about that? Right. I mean, whether it's uh, you know you don't have the money to do it, you don't have the know how, you don't have the education. It doesn't matter. You can be the most educated and still that go on in your home. You could be white that still goes on in your home. It doesn't matter. And if that's the case, nothing is going to change it other than rehab for the adult. And at the end of the day, as an adult, you you need to change yourself. It's not the child to conform to your behavior. So there's a real conversation on abuse and neglect. Children come into foster care for abuse or neglect. There's a real movement to say neglect should not be a reason. I will always start a conversation with poverty is not neglect, right? We can provide poverty is not neglect, um, but at some level, neglect and, and some of our most two most recent cases are, are pretty substantial neglect, including a child who died and wasn't even brought to the hospital for four days. So that's neglect, right? But so in terms of this is the question, right? And I think that I get to stand before you and say that this is not my full-time job, right? I I, I will say I make $1,000 a month on most months from this organization, but really it's just a labor of love. 
what we have done is really supported those networks. And then in terms of policy reform, it's really creating a, a network of substantially women. I love a few good sponsored ads that say, no, I'm going to empower you to know your rights. And, and if this child is being reunified too quickly, like if, if, if you as a foster parent are going to say, absolutely not this, you are the, you know, the child and you know, the family, you know, the workers, we have empowered you to say, Hey guys, I'm raising flags. This is not safe. And we see what happens if they are our state for the past four years has really pushed an ombudsman and office of an ombudsman, which is an independent or impartial office to really oversee and take concerns and grievances. Massachusetts has, has one, um, the Pacific Northwest, the Northeast, like you guys have done a really great job. Colorado has a phenomenal one. These are offices that are set up very independent of the child protective services with the sole, sole purpose to make sure that no one is falling through their cracks. And again, if it's a foster parent, if it's a worker, if it's a provider, if it's a therapist that says, you know, someone is making a decision I don't agree with, child protective services exists right now as, well, you only go back to child protective services, right? You have an issue with child protective services, you go back to mm. child protective services. And there's a lot writing with confidentiality of the children, right? Even with law enforcement, state by state, county by county, it really depends that this model of the ombudsman has really grown roots across the country. Um, I think it was Minnesota who just passed one recently, like within the past few days, enacted into law to say, we really need to create outside, independent, oversight, confidential. We need a safeguard. The other thing you and I haven't really talked about is that the pandemic, right? And so depending on the different states, what we've really seen is that, and we're really starting to feel it now coming out of the pandemic, families were pushed to the brink of sanity for all levels. And so we saw nationally a reduction in calls to child protective services by about 20% because the teachers and the frontline workers were not seeing kids day to day. So two years later, we're really starting to deal with the impact on figuring out which kids came back to school, which ones didn't, what happened in those houses. And, and I think really we, what we learned is that the severity of the abuse cases rose significantly because there wasn't a first call to child protective services. There wasn't a second call. And then I think what we're going to be feeling some of those really the fallout of, of the pandemic in this realm for years to come, especially with that under five age group, right? Child abuse happens at the under five and under three significantly. So I'm just grateful for the conversation. And I, I think we should just pause and say that this is really hard conversations. And so for your listeners who are still staying with us, like if we don't continue to have these conversations, bad things will continue to happen. But it's it's us standing up and saying, you know, if all I can do today is offer to take someone dinner, you've made a difference. Putting eyes on a kid, right? We can all make the world a different places. There are some of us that do the messy work. But even you listening to this conversation is helping something somewhere. And, and having this conversation is already a step in the right direction. I appreciate that you say that because, I mean, I would love to do what you do. I couldn't. I mean, you know, it's over what it is. It's overwhelming to have your own kids. And I'm a single mom and I'm divorced. I like to clarify, I am a divorced mom and I have my kids a lot. And sometimes there's not much of a break and, you know, no one to like say, Hey, you deal with this today. So that way, you know, I could do something else. And I appreciate so much what 
you do what my friend does because it is something very special and you're doing some other type of work. But I think that it is very important and it is a hard conversation. No one wants to hear that there's actually abuse to little kids in any type of way, but it is reality. It does happen. And the thing that I re- try to remind people of, whether I'm talking about the Wonder Fund, now I'm going to be talking about your organization, but the thing I try to remind people of is at some point, you might not care because it's not happening in your home. You might not care because you don't see it right now, but we need to, it's like education, right? If, if kids aren't being educated, they grow up with our kids, they get older, where are they going? And it's the same thing with these kids. Yes, it is important to know if there are abuses going on in a home where a child can be taken and be in a place where they're loved and they're, uh, they're cared for and they feel secure and they're eating and they're sleeping and it's safe because at the end of the day, kids grow up to be adults. And we have, I think over the years, lost a lot of respect in society. And so if we have an opportunity with little kids to kind of fix that and show them not all adults is really mean um, or going to hurt you or not take or forget about not take not hurting you, not taking care of you, right? Neglecting, like leaving you in a dirty diaper for 16 hours, not feeding you, leaving a TV on and going someplace else and leaving you home by yourself, whatever, whatever the situation is. I think that support and every parent I know wants their kid to grow up feeling that love and support until they're teenagers, then you're kind of like, mm, oh, are, you, so are you going to college yet? <laughs> are you getting a job yet? <laughs> but I think it, it is, it is really important, even though it's a hard conversation. I, I do think that it's a conversation that one shows what it's like to be an advocate Two, it's a very special class of humans in this world that need a little extra help and for someone to help them and to pay attention to what goes on in your communities because every community is different. And if there's a way to donate to, if it's not that you can be a foster parent, there are organizations that you could donate to. There's places, you know, we all clean out our closets and you have clothes. And sometimes it's like, even, I don't know, you know, I go through my closet, I'm like, oh, I bought this sweatshirt and I've worn it like three times. But even as an adult woman, there's a teenage girl somewhere that would really love that. Or there might be a foster mom who's like, holy cow, I have not had 30 seconds to go out and buy myself anything. Right. And so always keeping that in mind, I think is important. There are so many ways to get involved. And so I will say that our website is nmchildfirst.org. And you can, I mean, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We're pretty active. I also do a newsletter and I do a newsletter every time the news hits about a horrible story. And I I do a, a very detailed one during the legislative session. I'm trying to keep everyone in all of New Mexico from any place in the whole world involved in like what's going on in child welfare. Before we started this conversation, I would just want to say I will be in DC in July 15th or the 17th. So I reached out to my Congresswoman to just say, I'd like to come and just, again, talk to you about foster care for 30 minutes. Like, let me just, I'm going to be in DC. Let me just come and talk. And I found it just insane that I went to schedule an appointment or at least a request for a meeting. There were 35 separate topics about what you could speak about water rights, indigenous people's day, like you name it. And foster care, child welfare, even early education was not one. And so that like this conversation, right. 
I'm here to say, remind people that it is a very critical conversation. I will always say, I think child welfare is one of the top five issues facing our, our society in New Mexico as a country. It's a huge issue. Youth homelessness is a huge issue in every single state because the teenagers are breaking the foster care system. Foster care was designed for the little kids under five. It was never designed for teens. In 2022, we have a huge issue. Um, Human trafficking, right? Human trafficking, 70% plus. It's domestic minor sex trafficking victims, which means the under 18, they were probably born in the U.S., have roots within the child welfare system. So there's so many systematic issues. Foster care is a prison to pipeline. Like there's so many issues that this impacts. Just bringing awareness. I do a newsletter. So again, subscribe to my newsletter, subscribe to your, there is an organization in your state or your county or your area that does what I do. And if there's not, then find me and we can help bring it out there. Right. But again, it's, that's what I'm saying. Like even sharing a post on social media of something we have done helps our cause. It helps bring awareness. It helps bring education. If this listening to this conversation was a lot, take a break, right? Mental health is so important in this space because the stories that we share our first hand trauma or second hand trauma, but even listening to them is a traumatic response. I'm an empath. It makes this work very hard. Like I really do take other people's emotions on as my own. And I sit in that space and that's really where the roots of this organization came out of. How do we care for our caretakers? Yeah. Right. And it could be as simple as just saying, I see you, you know, I'm going to bring my friend dinner. I'm going to bring her the sweatshirt. Right. It has a really cute outfit. I'm going to share this post on social media. I'm going to read an article, but that's how we make change. It's very little bits. And then again, we recently did a picnic. We're actually planning a, a swim event at the end of the summer for all children and families in foster care. I don't ask to see your CYFD card or your child protective services card. If you come, you are welcome. You might be a grandparent raising a grandkid. You might be a neighbor, right? I don't ask. We just really want to celebrate foster care. And just that's one of my favorite things in this organization because the policy reform is hard. The advocacy work is hard, but reminding ourselves that the work we do is for that little child who gets a face painting or the laughter or the bubbles or the balloons, like Every day that we're making a positive experience in that child's life, I hope can contradict a previous negative one. Oh God, that's so powerful because I think children should be children, right? Mm -hmm. And kids should have the laughter and the joy, the silly laughs, you know, whether it's from tickles or seeing a clown or seeing a pony or the little joys. And it's hard to, my dad died when I was 10 and I was very fortunate. I had a really good mom and we lived with my grandparents and, you know, I, I seemingly had a pretty normal childhood, but I had to grow up at 11 years old. I had to, you know, be the other adult. And I look at my kids and I'm like, I don't want that to go away. And, you know, when you think of a child who's in foster care, they don't have the same normal, joyous upbringing as we hope that most kids have. And again, I think it just impacts society at the end of the day. It's impactful when they're babies and when they're young, it's impactful when they're teenagers. It's impactful when you hear about the sex trafficking. My business partner is a trafficking expert and, you know, to hear, I've heard these stories over and over and over again, and it's horrible. And if we want to stop that from happening, there's only one way to do it. You have to get involved in some level. And the advocacy is, is hard now. I mean, what do you think that I don't, and I don't know much about the New Mexico legislature, but do you think that changing the composition of your legislature 
would help in this space, in the foster care space? Very complicated. We actually have a, a female, uh, our house has more female members than our, our, um, than men. Kudos to New Mexico. <laughs> yeah. It's us in Nevada are the only two States. Um, unfortunately our governor has taken us a standpoint that she does not want CYFD reform. And so my fight is much bigger, but really it's, I can fight with an army. It's me, but that's why I'm saying like, please subscribe to my newsletter, write emails, like write our governor and our child protective services. We had the ombudsman pass for the fourth year in a row, passed the house unanimously in the legislature this year. And the governor and um, the CYFD department actually um, lobbied against it. And it was killed in Biden Senate Health. Oh, so your female governor, your female governor is shooting this down. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want any, it's a, it's a liability for her. And so you start to bring out cockroaches and then it's just a never ending cycle. So it's so. okay for kids to die and to be in homes with maggots on top of them for days on end yeah. with other kids at home, but it's not okay to take. A, and I'm sorry. I just said that because it is the visual is gross and it makes me it's sick horrific. to my stomach. It's, it is horrific, but I mean, that was one of the articles that I read and that, that is above tragic. Right. And, and for, for your governor, that is gross negligence. And so that's really the conversation that has started to kind of matriculate. And so there's some really horrific cases that have come out of the um, pandemic. That is one, a little girl had basically died in her bed for four days before her mom took her to the hospital and then dropped her off and then left. Right. Um, And then CYFD argued against taking the other four children into care. That's the story. Right. And so I say I'm in a communications war because if you knew what I knew, you would be screaming from the top of your lungs every single day. And so some states have figured it out and some states have not. New Mexico, our top executive branch, female governor is fighting against reforms at Child Productive Services. There was a journal editorial, our largest state newspaper for the second time in two weeks, for the second time in under 10 days, wrote an editorial that said, governor, again, there is a problem, take responsibility. And that's two newspaper journal editorial board articles in under 10 days. When is she up for re-election? Uh, November. Oh. So Mark Ronchetti is running and he's the Republican governor candidate and he is listening to these conversations. And I hate to make this a partisan issue and it is becoming an issue. Yeah, it, sh- it shouldn't be. I'm sorry. Again, as a mom, as a lawyer, as 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 a human, um, I don't know. This doesn't feel like it's a partisan issue. It feels like it is a humanitarian issue. It's a humanitarian issue. It's an all issue. It's public safety. It's public health. It's I mean, it, it, it straddles so many different lines. But I mean, just as as someone who who has a heart, you would want to listen to these stories and say, how screwed up could the other four kids be to know that their sibling was pulled out of the house? But in some cultures, that's just the way the family is. Oh, Who yeah. Judge. <laughs> right. That was my forecasting. That, right. I know. I know. I know. As, a, as I was saying, as according to that, that legislator that said that, that, I mean, it's, there's no culture that that's okay. And I can't imagine any culture that's okay. And I, and I can't imagine for any normal, rational person who's a neighbor of that woman, of that family. So if you were, and so again, so see what you tried to place with her aunt who had the house next door. And so I know we're running short on time. I would say if you are a rational human, pay attention because fighting an uphill battle, um, it's just like, it's, it's from an advocate perspective, there isn't money in child welfare, right? Like, again, I was 
going to DC, I was just in another political conference and there's big pharma. And I like, I mean, there's so many like big pharma, cannabis, liquor, right? You name it, all the ones that have all the money and all the lobbying businesses. And I need grassroots. This is a grassroots issue because there's just not money in protecting children and grassroots supports matters. I, I love watching foster parents, bio parents, advocates, Emails have gone out today to legislators to say, hey, and I think that's what else my organization has done as an advocate is reminded people how to engage in the political process. Hey, I'm your constituent and I know you voted against this bill and look what happened now. And that really matters. Um, and that is a powerful impact. I think that that is a great segue into our conclusion, which is basically get involved, right? Yes. Have your voice heard, find that issue. It doesn't have to be every issue. It can just be that one issue. And movements are begun by someone feeling passionate about something, seeing something that is wrong, that they want to change the world on, change the legacy, change the viewpoint on and get involved. And I hope that your governor loses because I don't care whether she was a Republican and a Democrat, you know, came down from Mars. I, you know, I don't care anything about her other than the fact that it really feels like negligence on her behalf to want to shove this under the rug and not take care of and reform a system that clearly has longstanding issues. And I thank you for, for what you're doing because it isn't easy work. And like I said, I, when I worked on this foster care review board, I went home and I cried after reading the stories every single time I was there. And it definitely got very difficult because you see some kind of gruesome things. And so I appreciate what you do. Thank you for doing it. And even though you're clear on the other side of the country, you know, this is an issue that affects all of us ultimately. So you're definitely doing something to change the future. So thank you, Marilyn. Well, thank you. No, again, for having us on and thank you to your listeners who have stayed with us this whole time. Um, please get involved, follow us on Facebook, share a post, find your local community, right? Start a movement. And this might be my life's mission to fix it um, because our children just deserve it, right? It's just unacceptable. It is unacceptable. Absolutely. Well, Marilyn, thank you for what you do. Marilyn Beck from New Mexico Child First Network. And please go to her website. And this is not a pitch for donations for her. It didn't start like that, but I can't help myself. And anything helps, whether it's $10 or $10,000 or a million dollars, right? Any, and that's a joke. Um, but I mean, even $10, if you're listening, it will go a long way. And you know what? Maybe it will help buy a foster parent a cup of coffee, which may be cheaper in New Mexico than it is in Boston. <laughs> <laughs> but um, seriously, it, it will help for something. So Marilyn, again, thank you so much for all you do. And thank you for listening to this episode of Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor. Sometimes I bring you politics. Sometimes I bring you news. And sometimes I just bring you something that I hope you think about. I hope makes you want to get involved in some issue that you're passionate about. You don't need to run for office, but leave your legacy, leave your mark on the world. Thank you. Stay happy, healthy, and safe. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Politicalcontessa.com.